Thanks for listening and subscribe today for our new Substack newsletter. That's Michael Medved's context placing today's big events in the unique perspective of our past and our future. Go to michaelmedved.substack.com and sign up today for my uncensored take on current controversies. And now, your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. What a great week this is. A very, very eventful week. It is a week when uh, a lot of people believe the presidential nomination will be settled. Tuesday, tomorrow, that's the New Hampshire primary. I know it's on rushing, comes so soon after Iowa. The whole race is completely changed by the Sunday surprise of Ron DeSantis and uh, and it's amazing all of a sudden for the first time in just about a year uh, President Trump was referring to his opponent for the nomination as Ron DeSantis uh, not as Meatball Ron not as uh, Ron DeSantis not as Ron DeSanctimonious no he called him Ron DeSantis. So uh, now that he's made a name for himself, he's going home to Florida to complete his three years as governor of the state of Florida uh, with a a strongly anticipated chance that uh, he will be running for president in 2028. Uh, The uh, the interesting thing about that is uh, a lot of people have wondered why did it happen that DeSantis ended up endorsing Trump uh, when he withdrew. And part of it is because if it's a Trump-Biden race, then it's a one-term presidency. Trump is constitutionally prohibited from winning if he wins this time. If Trump loses this time, if he uh, gets the Republican nomination and loses, or if he doesn't get the Republican nomination, if Nikki Haley can pull off some kind of miracle, uh, Trump can run again. And let's see, he's 77 now, so he would be 81. He'd be Biden's age at the time of the next (laughs) presidential election. Uh, Does Trump uh, want to run again if he loses? What do you think? What do you think? Uh, 1-800-955-1776. We um, uh, have a, are going to be doing something. It was the day before the New Hampshire primary. And uh, we're going to be giving away a couple of um, MedVed annual memberships. Uh, and we'll do MedHead Plus memberships. And they will be going to... Um, uh, to the person who calls in with the best explanation for why uh, you are voting for Trump or planning to vote for Trump when the primary comes to your state or to wherever you happen to be, uh, and uh, also if you have a uh, if you're still planning to vote for someone else like uh, Nikki Haley if you have an explanation of why you're voting for that individual and the I want to focus on the whole question of electability because there are a number of analysts who are saying look uh, electability doesn't work as an argument that argument that 
uh, Nikki Haley would win handily against Joe Biden, and all the polls show that, doesn't really matter to people, even when it shows that uh, the Donald Trump candidacy is much more weighted down. It's much more close and competitive with Joe Biden than her candidacy would be. Uh, So if it's not electability, what is the factor that is uh, motivating you? 1-800-955-1776. The uh, weekend, the media asked people all over the country, and they did the man in the street interviews, Uh, Why are you voting for Trump? This is for people in New Hampshire where they're facing this chase, uh, this choice, and it's going to be a crucial choice. And by the way, the Secretary of State of the state of New Hampshire is predicting a very big blowout turnout, like uh, 50,000 votes more turning out for this election, not just because they're not going to have the blizzard-like life-threatening conditions that they had in Iowa, but uh, because people apparently are excited about this primary. And uh, there is a new uh, New Hampshire poll just released, and (laughs) this is pretty amazing. Uh, It's Nikki Haley, 44%. Donald Trump, 46%. That is well within the margin of error. Uh, DeSantis, 6%. The expectation, and they've done a number of polls on this, I would have thought that virtually all of the people who are backing DeSantis would switch over and go over to the Trump side of things. uh, Because a lot of people were saying that what DeSantis had to offer was a younger uh, Trump without uh, without 91, without four indictments and, and 91 uh, charges and uh, a, a level of chaos and confusion. Uh, but guess what? There was plenty of chaos and confusion on the Ron DeSantis campaign. And there were people... And smart people, I people I know, who the same day that Ron DeSantis began his campaign with uh, Elon Musk, remember this? And, uh, you know, look, I don't have great computer skills. I, I just don't. And I've never tried to perfect it. I will readily admit that. But I could not get, because it was supposed to be on X, and it was just impossible. There were places like NPR was supposed to be broadcasting it live, and it was going to be this epic new breakthrough for his announcement of candidacy, and you couldn't hear it. And it was a disaster. Uh, meanwhile, there's a, a piece in Free Press by Joe Nocera under the headline, How in the Hell is Nikki Haley ever going to be able to stop Trump. And uh, Joan O'Sara writes that uh, there is a way. Uh, Barton Swaim at the Wall Street Journal writes there is a way. Uh, we will talk to uh, Barton Swaim coming up on the show. Also, Gerald Seib has a historical piece, which is very important, which is on how the Republican Party has changed uh, dramatically since the era 
of um, the era of Ronald Reagan and George Herbert Walker Bush and Mitt Romney and John McCain and uh, others who ran as uh, beloved figures for the Republican Party who might today have a tough time winning a nomination. Uh, there's also charges of cognitive decline. Uh, just what are you doing running for president when your mind is mush? Oh, these are not charges against Joe Biden. That happens every day. Uh, these are charges against Donald Trump because in the midst of a two-hour speech in uh, Concord, New Hampshire, he um, found the way to blame Nikki Haley uh, for January 6th. And he accused her both of um, being in charge of security on January 6th, turning down an offer of 10,000 soldiers to protect the Capitol, and, uh, and, and also then of destroying all of the information that implicated her. Okay, <laughs> there's one problem with this. She wasn't in the government in, in 2001 on January 6th. She had no role in the government. She wasn't UN ambassador anymore. Uh, she had already retired with great thanks and great praise for President Trump. So what did President Trump have in mind? You know, or, or was there a mind behind this commentary? Uh, we will get to that let you hear for yourself and much more right here on the medved show 1-800 on primary day before the new hampshire primary thanks for listening and subscribe today for our new substack newsletter that's michael medved's context placing today's big events in the unique perspective of our past and our future go to michaelmedved.substack.com and sign up today for my uncensored take on current controversies Michael Medved show. Uh, there's a great deal of campaigning going on all over the state of New Hampshire. And that was one of the strange things about the very tail end. Uh, the uh, ending with a not with a bang, but with a whimper. Uh, in the T.S. Eliot phrase of the DeSantis campaign. Uh, Ron DeSantis wasn't campaigning in New Hampshire. He was campaigning at least part of the time in South Carolina. So he was looking ahead as recently as Friday and Saturday to uh, campaigning in South Carolina, which is the next big contested primary. There will be... Uh, uh, caucuses in Nevada which uh, President Trump is overwhelmingly favored to win because he's the only one who's really been paying attention to Nevada uh, but um, okay uh, Friday night uh, President Trump had a big rally in the state capital of New Hampshire and Concord and uh, he uh, he spoke for 90 minutes uh, with <laughs> <laughs> which is just extraordinary. He, he very, very often uh, speaks about the cognitive decline 
of President Biden and how President Biden can't even get a sentence out without muddling it, without making a mess, without uh, some kind of verbal vomit. And, uh, okay, this was uh, President Trump speaking in Concord, New Hampshire, talking about why he wasn't the, the one to blame for the riots of January 6th. We're not even using the term insurrection. We'll use the term riot because that's what they were. But uh, uh, Trump wasn't to blame for the riots of January 6th. Who was? He actually had kind of a surprise candidate whose name he mentioned a lot regarding her role in the riots. Uh, listen, this is clip 12. By the way, they never report the crowd on January 6th. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, you know, they did. You know, they destroyed all of the information, all of the evidence, everything deleted and destroyed all of it, all of it because of lots of things like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people. We offered her 10,000 people. Nikki Haley was in charge of security. And I, I, I mean, for goodness sake. And she destroyed all the records. And uh, can we can we hear that again? And you can tell that there's something going on that uh, is showing a difficulty with the brain, despite how well he did identifying whales and giraffes and uh, and zebras on the cognitive test that he aced. Uh, uh, this uh, let's hear one more time and see if we can figure out what he's trying to say. By the way, they never report the crowd on January sixth. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. You know, they did. You know, they destroyed all of the information, all of the evidence, everything. Deleted and destroyed all of it, all of it, because of lots of things. Like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her ten thousand people. Okay. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the fact is, Nikki Haley was not in Washington at the time. Uh, she had retired or left her post as United Nations ambassador. She had absolutely no role in the security of the Capitol building. She's never been a member of Congress. She was a member of the state legislature in South Carolina before she was governor. But... Uh, this is remarkable. There's a piece in uh, Forbes magazine uh, just appeared, uh, and uh, it's a piece by Sarah Dorn of the Forbes staff, and she uh, the headline says, Trump has confused Obama and Biden at least seven times in recent months amid other notable gaffes. Um <clears throat> President Trump referenced Obama when he clearly meant Biden at a rally in Otumna, Iowa on October 1st, twice in a Fox News radio interview on October 11th and three times during a September 15th speech before faith leaders in Washington. The incidents are among a series of misstatements from Trump in recent months that his political foes have sought to capitalize on. The DeSantis campaign has been highlighting his rhetorical blunders on X, formerly known as Twitter, sometimes with the help of the Biden campaign. Uh, Biden-Harris headquarters uh, reshared a tweet from the DeSantis War Room account 
featuring a video of Trump referring to Sioux City, Iowa as Sioux Falls before Iowa State Senator Bradley Zahn came on stage to correct him. The DeSantis campaign also shared a clip of Trump appearing to confuse former President George W. Bush and former governor of Florida, Jeb Bush, during a September 25th speech in Somerville, South Carolina, and another incident in New Hampshire in October when he said that uh, Viktor Orban, the uh, strong man of Hungary, was the leader of Turkey. Uh, Nikki Haley responded. I mean, again, she's expecting criticism in the campaign. I mean, she is now one of the two surviving Republican candidates for the nomination, at least at the moment. And uh, Nikki Haley reacted to being blamed for the failures of security on uh, on January 6th of 2021. Listen. Trump is at a rally, and he's going on and on mentioning me multiple times as to why I didn't take security during the Capitol riots. Why I didn't handle January 6th better. I wasn't even in D.C. on January 6th. I wasn't in office then. They're saying he got confused, that he was talking about something else. He was talking about Nancy Pelosi. He mentioned me multiple times in that scenario. The concern I have is I'm not saying anything derogatory, but when you're dealing with the pressures of a presidency, we can't have someone else that we question whether they're mentally fit to do this. We can't. Okay, uh, and she's already questioned uh, President Biden extensively. Uh, Elise Stefanik has been getting a lot of publicity. She is, according to most sources, at the very top of the list of potential vice presidential candidates for uh, President Trump if he wins the nomination, as is now widely expected. Uh, Here's we have time for Elise Stefanik. Uh, talking about Trump mixing up Nancy Pelosi and Nikki Haley. Uh, We will get to that and more coming up uh, as we look forward to the New Hampshire primary on the Medved Show. has been a frequent guest on this show. I'm very proud to say he was also the Washington Bureau Chief of the Wall Street Journal and Dow Jones Newswires for many years. He oversaw the Washington coverage of a combined Bureau of Reporters and Editors for both the Journal and the Newswires, which provide coverage of the White House, Congress, politics, economics, the Supreme Court, national security affairs, health and regulatory issues. Uh, And his columns are always important, but particularly one that appeared uh, over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal about how the Republican Party has changed. 
and uh, the headline is what the GOP used to believe and what struck me uh, uh, Mr. Syme what struck me Gerald is that uh, basically you have a picture of the old time leaders of the party uh, up on top of the article and you see President Reagan and President George Herbert Walker Bush and John McCain Mitt Romney uh, they were all people who had conceived uh, very substantial success in politics and success in winning presidential nominations. Um, the the new breed of Republican that you're talking about, the very different approach of the like presidential candidates this time. Um, where have been the most conspicuous examples of success? of that new breed of Republicans, and I mean success nationally, not just in Republican primaries? <laughs> That's an interesting question, <laughs> um, because I think I think you can draw a pretty bright line between Mitt Romney, who won the Republican nomination in 2012, and Donald Trump in 2016, and everything that's happened since 2016. I think they would both agree that there's a bright line. Yeah. <laughs> More than agree, probably. But I think what what um, is lost in in this is the is sort of the historical sweep between Ronald Reagan and George H. W. Bush and George W. Bush. You had Republicans who won the presidency in five general elections. That's 20 years um, of of Republican. Uh, uh, rule from the White House um, with those just those three people, and that's a pretty substantial record of achievement. And I think it's fair to say that all three of those guys were traditional conservatives. Probably Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush a little more than George H. W. Bush, but there was a kind of a consensus that was formed in 1980 um, under the leadership of Ronald Reagan about what it meant to be a Republican conservative. And it meant a lot of things that still are true, low taxes and low regulation and conservative judges. But it also meant uh, open trade, free trade. It also meant an openness to immigration and the value that immigration has brought to the to the country, uh, an internationalist view, um, a kind of a sense of optimism that Reagan always brought to the table that said, essentially, look, we'll have our troubles, but if you believe in the American ideal, um, the, the progress will, will ensue as a result of that. And those are the things that I think have been lost now, mostly because of Donald Trump, but increasingly not just because of Donald Trump. Uh, the Republican Party doesn't want to play much of an American role on the world stage. It's not really interested in helping Ukraine. I'm overstating here because half of the Republican Party does, but significant portion of the Republican Party doesn't want to play that role on the world stage, doesn't really believe in free trade, doesn't see any virtue in immigration. And these are all fairly radical departures if you step back and look at the broader sweep. Well, the, the one uh, piece in a uh, segment of your piece that I struck me most is uh, growing up, the Republican Party was always the party of big business. I mean, Calvin mm -hmm. Coolidge said the business of America is business. And we always have described people who start big companies and have successful companies as job creators and the people who make the economy go. And what you're saying is the new breed of Republicans, the kind of people that you saw particularly exemplified by people like Ron DeSantis 
and and uh, President Trump are much less sympathetic to large corporations. How did that? Well, work? I think it goes beyond less sympathetic. There, there's an actual hostility there in many cases. I mean, Ron DeSantis is at war with a big business that is crucial to the economy of his home state, the Disney Company, because of their social policies. And more than that, I think there is a tendency in the new version of the Republican Party to see big business as just another elite institution that doesn't care about average Americans and that is out to basically game the system to its own advantage. Um, And while the Republican Party remains very very sympathetic to and um, a comfortable home for small business, it's just not a big, uh, very comfortable place for big business anymore. And there's a, you know, I think that it's not an exaggeration to say that Bernie Sanders and the populist right of the Republican Party have a similar view of corporate America, which is that it's not to be trusted, it's not got Americans' best interests in mind, and it needs to be uh, monitored and controlled by the government. I mean, that, you're, you're right, that's a remarkable departure for the Republican Party and for people who still call themselves conservatives. I don't think that's a conservative view, but they still call themselves conservatives. And again, you also talk about, and you mentioned it before, uh, the idea of this instinctive optimism. Uh, President Reagan won 49 states by talking Mm -hmm. about it's morning again in America. Uh, I mean, hard to imagine uh, any Republican saying that today because we have the opposite. It's apocalypse now in America. It's the end of America. This is the last election we're ever going to have if we don't win. Uh, when, well, and, and when maybe even if we do become, win. <laughs> <laughs> right. When did that become the line? Where, where do you oh, think I that... Oh, I think that's very, that's very clearly what Donald Trump brought to the party. Um, I mean, that dark dystopian view was not really a thing. Certainly not what Mitt Romney was saying in 2012. He was an upbeat optimist, uh, sort of in the Reagan mold in that sense. Um, and I think the the point, there's a quote, I have to just read this quote from Donald Trump, which I used in the piece, which I think is the best illustration I found of the phenomenon we're talking about. Donald Trump said last month, quote, we're a nation whose economy is collapsing into a cesspool of ruin. We have become a drug-infested, crime-ridden nation, which is incapable of solving the simplest of problems. I mean, not, not just not solving the problem, incapable of solving the problems. It's just, it's just amazing. The, the real question is why, I think, um, why has this become the thing that you can not only now say, but you almost have to say to succeed in the current Republican Party, you have to be that dark. And I think it's a combination of things, but I, I, I trace a lot of it back to the 2008-2009, uh, the, the big recession, when um, I think a lot of Americans saw Wall Street and, and big finance get bailed out, uh, average Americans not get bailed out, lost their homes in the mortgage crisis. And I think there became a feeling that the system was rigged, Average people were getting shafted. Uh, the big guys, the elites, wherever they were in in business or Wall Street or academia or in the media, were coming, were making out fine, and therefore anger was justified. And uh, angry rhetoric and dark rhetoric became the thing that tapped into that sentiment. And I think a lot of it stems from there. And the one thing that people seem to have forgotten, uh, and it's a an incredibly negative trend in our politics 
is that if it comes to solving problems, they now have a problem solvers caucus in the House of Representatives. But when it comes to solving problems, optimism is a crucial component, which is, I think, a point that is made exceptionally well in this important column. We've linked to it at our website at michaelmedved.com. column is called What the GOP Used to Believe. It's worth recapturing some of that faith, it seems to me. Uh, Gerald Seib, so much appreciate your voice and appreciate your joining us on the show. We'll be uh, right back with uh, Elise Stefanik trying to explain President Trump not knowing the difference between Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi. Coming up on The Medved Show. Medved show. The uh, the other night in a rally in New Hampshire, uh, President Trump was introducing the fourth ranking Republican in the House of Representatives, uh, Elise Stefanik, and uh, that is, by the way, how she pronounces her name. I've heard her say her own name, and that's how she says it, Stefanik. And you can write it out. It's a S-T-E-F and then A-H capital because that's where the emphasis is Stefanik. Uh, here's President Trump introducing uh, the favorite right now, according to all the speculation, to be his running mate for the vice presidency of the United States. This is the way President Trump introduced her. At the three people. How good did Elise Stepanak do? Uh, he's talking about her performance, which was outstanding, at the uh, hearings uh, for about anti-Semitism on campus, where <laughs> she was largely responsible for the president of the University of Pennsylvania and the president of Harvard uh, both getting cashiered. They both lost their positions, and uh, there's some change going on there. But... Uh, uh, Elise Stefanik, who, who, by the way, would, I am sure, change gladly the pronunciation of her name if President Trump wanted it, because she's a very devoted supporter of President Trump. And she, even speaking to the press, tried to explain the fact that he blamed Nikki Haley for January 6th and said that Nikki Haley had been in charge of security on January 6th, which shows, I guess, that how can you blame President Trump for January 6th when he knows so little about it in any event? Here is uh, the Elise Stefanik uh, explanation. Listen. That isn't a mix-up. Uh, the reality is Nikki Haley... She wasn't speaker. Nikki Haley is relying on Democrats just like Nancy Pelosi uh, to try to have a desperate showing in New York, in New Hampshire. But he was so talking President about January 6th. President Trump has not lost a step. He is a stronger candidate, stronger than he is today, than he was in 2016 and he was in 2020. Compare that to Joe Biden's weakness. Okay. Uh, again, uh, President... Trump a stronger candidate 
today than he was in 2016 or 2020. Um, it uh, it it is uh, amazing, and in fact, there is a step in that too. There is a new Biden ad uh, which is posted to his social media accounts, which touched on this gaffe of confusing. <laughs> confusing Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi, where there there is literally a more than a thirty year age difference between Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi, and Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House. Remember, she was one of those people. Remember when she tore up President Trump's State of the Union speech? Uh, she was up there in the House of Representatives chamber listening somewhat politely to President uh, Trump deliver what was a fine speech at the time. And uh, then she got up afterward and showed her uh, real feelings about the speech by ripping up the text of it that she had been following. In any event, here is a uh, Joe Biden ad uh, about the uh, latest uh, Trump gaffe. Listen. Last night, Trump is at a rally. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. And he's going on and on mentioning me multiple times as to why I didn't handle January 6th better. Nikki Haley is in charge of security. We offered her 10,000 people. They don't want to talk about that. I wasn't in office then. They're saying he got confused. You have voter ID to buy a loaf of bread. You have, you have ID to buy a loaf of bread. What? What is? I'm driving over a road where it's almost all paper. And, you know, you can see paper. I know paper. I know cans. But all the time now we see whales washing up on shore because of the wind. Uh, Our veterans don't have cell phones, do they? He got confused. He got confused and said he was running against Obama. He never ran against Obama. And we did with Obama. We won an election that everyone said couldn't be won. Obama wants to, he doesn't want to talk about it. Well, you mean President Biden. So, uh... Don't put our country at risk like this. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. <laughs> Turnabout is fair play. Uh, the, uh... The great thing that Nikki Haley has going for her right now is she talks about uh, Biden and Trump uh, as a pair of 80-year-olds. And, and I know that's not entirely fair to President Trump because he's going to be 78 uh, in June. His birthday is in June. And uh, this is uh, Nikki Haley uh, that talks about uh, Trump's um, mental acuity at the moment and its decline. This is clip five. Recently, there have been multiple things. I mean, he claimed that Joe Biden was going to get us into World War Two. I'm assuming he meant World War Three. He said that he ran against President Obama. He never ran against President Obama. He says that I'm the one that kept security from from the Capitol on January 6th. I was nowhere near the Capitol on January 6th. But Margaret, you don't be surprised if you have someone that's 80 in office. Their mental 
stability is going to continue to decline. That's just human nature. We know that. What I'm saying is, first of all, you're talking about somebody who's only going to be in office four years. Secondly, you're talking about someone who continues to, I mean, look, I don't know if he was confused. I don't know what happened, but it should be enough to send us a warning sign that if you look Joe Biden, he's very different than he was two years ago. Are we really going to go into a situation where we have wars around the world and we're trying to prevent war and we're going to have someone who we can or can't be sure that they're going to get confused. It's a real issue. That's not being disrespectful. It's just a fact. Okay. Uh, is it a fact? Is that fair? And here's her speaking about the duo, the doddering duopoly, as I've called it, of uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. She's speaking to Dana Bash on CNN. This is clip 18. If either one of them was good, I wouldn't be running. Yes, they are equally bad. That's why I'm running. It's because I don't think we need to have Biden or Trump. I don't think we need to have two 80-year-olds sitting in the White House when we've basically got to make sure that we can handle the war situation that, that we're in. We need to know they're at the top of their game. We need to know that they can take care of our national security and our economy. Right now, I don't know that people feel like that with either one. So that's why we're giving them a choice. And uh, somebody who applauds her choice is uh, Judge uh, Judy uh, speaking in Exeter, New Hampshire with uh, Nikki Haley on stage. Uh, clip 21. We've already seen what these two presidencies look like. It's time for Nikki Haley. This is her moment. She is a star. If I know few things, I don't know math, I don't know calculus, I couldn't be a doctor because I cheated on my chemistry final. But I tell you this, I do know people. And this woman is the real deal. So, so please, New Hampshire, use your brains and your heart. Bring her home on Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, Judge Judy speaking on behalf of uh, Nikki Haley. It is uh, going to be a very unpredictable race. Uh, there's a piece by Barton Swain in the Wall Street Journal, and uh, that's coming up. Uh, two pieces about potential surprises in the New Hampshire primary. Uh, he writes, Haley could win New Hampshire. Then what? And uh, then there's another piece about the leading candidate challenging President Biden on the Democratic side, a race that's got no attention at all because Biden has to rely upon having his name written in. His name's not on the ballot. So what happens if Dean Phillips who is the congressman from Minnesota, who uh, is running a lonely, very long shot race against Joe Biden. What happens if he ends up getting, oh, I don't know, 43%? Why am I saying 43%? It's because another guy from Minnesota named Eugene McCarthy in a uh, primary in New Hampshire that I actually participated in as a college student, uh, if... Uh, that individual, Eugene McCarthy, got 43%, and that knocked Lyndon Johnson out of the presidency because he didn't get enough write-in votes to counter it. What could happen on the Democratic side in this greatest nation on God's green earth? 
coming up.